The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Our text this morning is Exodus 20, verse number 16, and this is the ninth commandment. Hebrews called these the ten words. This is the ninth word of God that was written on tables of stone. And this commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I don't think you have any trouble understanding that language. Uh, It's even the King James we, we understand, I think. It very simply says, don't lie. Just don't lie. And I think that pretty much covers all the implications of the command that we are not to lie. Earlier today, as I drove into the church, I passed the Grayton Casino. And as I did, there were four police cruisers that sped around me. I don't know, they must have been doing about 70 miles an hour. And they had their lights flashing. And then there was a truck that was following them. And on the back of that truck, it had huge letters that said SWAT, S-W-A-T. And as I was coming right by the casino, I heard a loud explosion and there was debris that was thrown into the air and I could see it coming down and hitting the cars. And I heard shots going on in the, in the parking lot. And, uh, as, as I approached there, the police were trying to hold people back and there was a a policeman there was standing close to my, my car and I said to him, uh, I really think that I could help. I'm a pastor. And I think that I need to go in and give some people the last rites. Does that clue you in just a little bit? <laughs> that what I've told you is a lie? Now for just a moment there, you, you may have thought, well, well, it is true. I mean, after all, he's a preacher. And he is standing in the pulpit. And he does have a Bible up there. And surely he's going to tell the truth. And you may have looked at me and, and you would think even something about me. I mean, he saw that? And you're captivated by that. You mean he saw that? And maybe you even thought something about me that, that looked pretty good. You know, that, that uh, I'm able to tell something like that. This is an example of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not lie. In 2015, NBC newsman Brian Williams was suspended from his high-profile job as a NBC network news anchor and the reason he was suspended is because he said something about covering the war in Iraq and he talked about the danger that he was put in as he was as he was uh, covering uh, the war and its war correspondence and it turned out that that was a lie and what he was trying to do was to gain some respect for himself just the danger that he put himself in to report to us the news. Now, the irony of that story is that last year, in December, Brian Williams, who's now been demoted to cable news, uh, did a segment on his show criticizing the Trump administration transition team for fake news. Now, it's a sad time in our country when the biggest news that we have is fake news. And that tops the headlines. And we're not even sure if it is fake news, because... They're reporting on fake news, maybe fake news. We, we just don't know. And so it seems that the best that we can do is just don't trust anybody. As Shakespeare said in Hamlet, to thine own self be true, 
which is not really a good idea either because all of us are liars. All men are liars. And it gives you just how, uh, an idea how broad this ninth commandment is. As, as with all the others, we find multiple ways that this commandment can be broken and you're going to learn what we already know, that all men are liars. Now, I know the ladies agree with that, but I want to tell you that is a generic reference. And what it actually means, all people are liars, all humans are liars. Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. As soon as they are born. And that's a way of saying that lying is the human condition. In our study of the commandments, we've learned that love for our fellow man is inseparably connected to our love for God. 1 John, which is the definitive exposition of what it means to love God, says that we cannot love God unless we love our neighbor. And the second part of the Decalogue is support for the first part, which teaches us that we are to love God supremely. And here we learn, as we study the second half of the commandments, that the demonstration of that love for God is our obedience. We obey the command to love no one but Him, and all the commands... Uh, in the very beginning, point upwards towards God. And then we come to this second part of the Decalogue, 6 through 10, that displays the divine character of God. That since God is a God of love, then to be like Him, we must be people that love. We don't have any other way to prove that we love God except by the obedience to His commandments. And when they tell us to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we fall short of doing that, then we don't love God. The Word of God is... Simple on that point. Now that love your neighbor dynamic is the second great commandment. I mean, that is the entirety of the second half of the Decalogue. The author of the commandments, who is Jesus Christ, said in Matthew 22 in his explanation that the law is divided into two parts. And you know this, we've been over it, that the first part, the first part of that tells us that we are to love God supremely. And then the second part tells us that we are to love our neighbor. Now, interestingly, although loving our neighbor is the subject of the second half of the law, neighbor does not even appear until we get to the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, we can't lie about our neighbor to our neighbor because we owe him love and we owe him compassion. We owe him concern. And as God is mindful of the sinner and loves people, so the Bible teaches that we are to love our neighbor and not hurt him in any way. And so the prohibitions of the second table prevent us from doing any manner of harm to our neighbor. So it says you shouldn't kill him, and it says you're not to steal from him, you're not to commit adultery with his wife, you shall not covet his possessions, and it says this, you shall not lie against him. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we are to speak truth to our neighbor and about our neighbor because we're part of one another. And I want those of you that are in a covenant commitment with Jesus Christ to remember this, that we are the same family, that we are together, that we are members of Christ's church by faith and to harm any part of the body of Christ is to harm us all. You see, the church is the body of Christ, and the membership of the church should be so tightly woven together 
that there would be none of us that would dare raise a hand against another, never foster an attitude against someone. We would dare raise our voices in anger, that we would dare tell lies against anyone, especially those that are members of the household of the faith, because to do so is to reject God himself. And then towards those that are outside the body of Christ, those who don't yet know Jesus Christ, we're the representatives of God to them. And so we must reflect the character of God as being honest to show people that God is a God of truth. His people are people of truth. And this is what the ninth commandment is given. Uh, the purpose of it is to guard the testimony of truth. The ninth commandment is the guardian of God's truth. Ezekiel Hopkins, the Puritan, said that lying is a sin that is most contrary to the nature of God who is truth itself. Now the commandments are true, and they tell us that God is true. The sixth commandment showed us that God is the true giver of life. And in the seventh commandment, we learn that God is true in faithfulness, that he's true to his promises. In the eighth commandment, we see that God is truthful to provide for us. And then in the ninth, it's stamped indelibly by saying that God will never lie. He is the God of truth. Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, here in the beginning of the message, I just want to take a little bit of time to give you some scriptures about God's truthfulness. This Commandment is a guardian of God's truthfulness. So I think we need to talk just a little bit about what the Bible says about God as the God of truth. Truth is actually one of God's chief attributes. And we don't want to miss what the Bible says about this truthfulness. In Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that is, he stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, and proclaim, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, you look at the, those verses closely in your Bible or on the screen. It says, the Lord, the Lord God. And that's God's highest name. God spoke and he used his highest and his holiest name. And that name translates, the Lord, the Lord God, translates into I am, I am Jehovah God, and it says he is merciful. He says I'm gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and in truth. So God is abundant in truth. And if you want to have what you say backed up that it's true, then God's the one that you swear by. And when you do that, you have to be absolutely sure that every word that you speak is true, right down to the smallest syllable, because God's character of abundant truth is on the line. Whenever you invoke his name, and you say, this is true, and I swear that to God that it's true, you put God in the middle of that. In Isaiah 65, verse 16, it says, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth swear by the God of truth. In a court of law, or when the president swears his oath, when a judge 
swears an oath, when a witness on the stand swears an oath, they put their hand on the Bible, and that Bible represents, or they, they swear by the book of God, and that represents that they, that is truth. That's absolute truth. And they swear by it. And to tell a lie is to gut God. Zechariah 8 verse 8 says, And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. 2 Samuel 7 verse 28, And now, O Lord God, Thou art that God, and Thy words be true, and Thou hast promised this goodness unto Thy servant. And those are just a few of many, many verses we find in the Old Testament that speak of God's truthfulness. And there's just simply nothing that works in all that we read in the New Testament and Old Testament unless God is always dependably honest. We could just throw out all of the commandments. If God is not truthful, if He is not honest, just throw all of it out and all the rest of the Old Testament. And then the New Testament records more testimonies about the importance of God's truth. Now, you can see how important it is to you as you read John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh. That's, that's Jesus Christ. God was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you pay attention to this one, John 1.17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I went to see my accountant to get my taxes done, and he had a little joke about death and taxes. And I won't go into that now, but you've, you've heard the saying that there is nothing sure but death and taxes. Well, there actually is some other things, more things that are, that are sure. And uh, I'm sure of this, that at some point in your life, a Jehovah's Witness is going to come and visit you. I wish that I could say at some point in your life that a Baptist will come and visit you, but this sermon is about truth, so I have to leave that part out. So a Jehovah's Witness is going to come and visit you, and what that Jehovah's Witness will do, he will deny that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God that we've just spoken of here in, in the Old Testament. And that's because he does not believe that Jesus Christ is God of very God. But we've just seen that the testimony of the Bible, of these scriptures, is that Jesus is Jehovah God. And we look at this in the Old Testament where I just showed it to you. The Lord, the Lord God, that's Jehovah. And the Bible says that He is truth. And then we see in the New Testament, what? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now that's John's testimony, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Lord God. And John very well knew the implications in speaking to the Jewish people in those first 18 verses of John chapter 1. He knew what that meant when he talked about Jesus being full of grace and truth because that equated him with God. Now you might want to save those verses for when the Jehovah Witness comes to visit you because when they come, you ask them, how can, how can Jesus not be Jehovah God of the Old Testament when it says that God is truth? And the New Testament says that Jesus is truth. A equals B, and B equals C, therefore A equals C. And if you don't understand the math, let me explain it to you. Jesus equals truth, truth equals God, therefore Jesus equals God. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 4, he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar, and he said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here we learn that God the Father is truth. We see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is truth. And now I can show you why we are Trinitarian. Now, there are some Jehovah Witnesses are not Trinitarian. Some others are not Trinitarian. I can show you why we are. And that's because the Bible also says the Holy Spirit is truth. John 14, 15 to 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may come and abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And John fifteen twenty six. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and show you things to come. Well, the scriptures are very clear that the Trinity is bound together in truth. God's character is truthfulness. And to be like him, we must be truthful. And as Hopkins would say, that we are most unlike God when we tell a lie. How important is truth? John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, Continue in my word, which is just another way of saying, Keep the commandments. Why? Because the truth will make you free. It's the truth that liberates your soul from all the condemning falsehoods of misinterpretations. And that is exactly the problem that was going on in John chapter 8 when Jesus said that. It was a misapplication of the law by lying rabbis who kept the people in bondage under an oppressive weight that was impossible then for them to escape. Now the truth of the gospel is that we are saved by the grace of God. It's not by our works. And it's the only means of setting a prisoner free from the chains of sin that binds our soul to hell. As John Wesley wrote in that great hymn, My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What else is truth? John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. When we pick up the Bible, we're picking up the book of truth, the inspired, infallible word of God. That's the logos. It means the written word, and it stands for Jesus Christ. The Bible says the gospel is truth. Galatians 2.4 says it is the gospel of truth. That gospel is before us, even in this season right now, as we think about 
the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that is the gospel. It's the good news that Christ died to satisfy God for sin and that you can be saved and justified and sanctified in the name of Jesus Christ by believing that truth. The truth that Jesus died for sin. And so we guard that testimony of truth and we stand against those who preach a false gospel because there is nothing that will save our souls but the truth. And so you see in every way, God is truth. Everything in Him is truth. Everything He touches is truth. He will not stand for a lie because truth is His nature. That's His being. As we read in Titus 1, we have hope of eternal life which God promised and He cannot lie. Now, false swearing against our neighbor then stabs at God's character. You say, well, how does it do that? Because the Bible says that man is made in the image of God. And whenever you tell a lie, you mar the image of God in you. You are made in God's image. And if you don't do what God does, you mar the image of God in you. God is made to be a liar if those are made in the image of God lie. What does the Bible say about God as a witness then? Well, He's a witness in heaven. Job 16, 19 says, Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They're all witnesses to the truth. And this command says that we are most like God when we tell the truth. Bishop Lancelot Andrews wrote in his work, A Pattern of Catechistical Doctrine, The scope and purpose of God the lawgiver in this commandment is that God, as He is truth itself, so He would have truth preferred among men, which truth, as John 18.37, Christ saith of Himself, so we may all say we are born and came into this world to this purpose, to bear witness of the truth. Now, I hope that sinks in for you. Those, those first comments, I don't know of another commandment besides the very first commandment that God gave that strikes at the heart of God more than this. This is solemn. Nothing is going to bring us close to God but the truth, and nothing will drive us further away from God than lies. David said, God desires truth in the inward parts, and so it must be a part of you in order for you to have a part with God. And yet... As we'll see, lies are a way of life. Everywhere, in every corner, lies are told. And we expect them. We know that people are going to lie to us. We expect that. We do it ourselves, don't we? We, we expect people will lie. And so we have fake news and we have false piety by those who make the fake news. As one author said about lies, you see how horrid and impiety this is and yet how common it is. So is there anything to be done about this vileness? With the opportunity to be most like God by telling the truth, we choose to be most unlike God by telling lies. And we're not under any compulsion to lie, but we do it anyway. That's just part of the sinful nature, and we can't escape that unless we go to Christ and rely upon Him. Lying is a great gulf that separates us from God so the only way that we can reach God is to go to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in my preparation notes for this sermon, 
I, I, I had a, a great, great big memo written across the page, memo to self that said in big letters, tell a lie at the very beginning. And folks, that was the easy part. That was the easy part of this. I told a lie. And I told you why it was wrong. Because God is always truth. Lies are always wrong. Now you've got to keep that overarching principle in your mind as we go through the entire exposition. Lies are always wrong. Now we need to come back to settle into the context of this command. Why is this command given? Well, this is a law that's transcendent as all the others are. I mean, this, this law was a part of the moral code for all people of all time. And we know this, that trust in some degree is essential for us to live together. We, well, there must be some trust. That's true on, uh, for several proofs, not the least of which um, we shouldn't be liars because we know that in the final assize that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire that burns with, uh, lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The Bible says that. So we regard this law for this purpose. It's the big picture purpose that lies affect people for all time. Lies mount up to untold punishment in hell. So that's the big picture. That's the big picture future of all liars. But we also need to see the implications of lying in the immediate context of why this scripture is given. This is a law that's given to be a part of of Israel's governmental constitution, just like our founding fathers gave us a constitution for government. Israel's constitution, of course, is bigger and more important than any given to any nation. It's important enough that it's the basis of all jurisprudence of all governments across the entire world. And so we need, we need to finish our time out today by looking at the immediate implications of this command. So this is number one in your outline. It's as far as we'll get today. And that is the public intention for Israel. Now the first reason that this law was given, it was in the description that I gave you in the beginning of the message. And that is, this is a law that concerns God. This is a law that is about Him. So we say first, letter A, is that it's for the creator of justice. This is a statement about God that because God is truth, that his government does not allow lies. Now later on we'll discuss the differences that we make in lies because we feel like there are times when we can justify the use of a lie. And so I'll explore that a little bit and we'll look and see that there are no lies that are justified because God never tells any sort of lie. And so I'll just make that discussion short for right now. There is no excuse for a lie of any kind. And you don't need to argue that with me unless you want to argue with God because God cannot lie. Did, did everybody get that yet? That, that, that's, that's it. In the smallest degree, for no reason, will God ever tell a lie. So get this picture that God not only doesn't choose to lie, God cannot lie because that's his nature. A pig can fly before God can lie. So you can just remember that. Now this commandment then puts truth in front of the people. There are only ten commandments that govern every sin. Remember us talking about that last week? Seven and a half billion people in the world and nobody has ever committed a sin that's not one of the ten commandments. Every sin that you commit breaks the ten commandments in one way or another. God is the God of truth and therefore truth is what regulates his kingdom. That's, that's it. That's the end of the story. Now the value of truth in our time 
is, is, I think, more important than it's ever been before. Lies have always been a problem, obviously, but you just take a look at what's happened in the United States. That in our last election, neither of the candidates was trusted. And we didn't decide, well, which candidate do we like who tells the most truth? No, we had to decide which candidate tells the least amount of lies. And, and we have one, you know, that, that had shown a pattern of lies for years. So we knew that. That's what we were going to get. And then we got the other one who's busily catching up with that. So either way that we vote, at least for four years, we've got a problem of sifting through every statement to figure out, is that the truth or is it a lie? Now, thankfully, we do have the news media that always tells the truth. And so we can, we can uh, ask them. They always tell the truth. Oh, or is that the fake truth? I'm not quite sure. There are alternative facts, you know. Code word for let's tell a lie. So there, there aren't any room. There, there's no room for lies in God's government because His government is a government of perfect justice. All of His judgments are based on truth. That's the model that He wanted for Israel. And when you stand before God, the books are going to be open and the facts about your sins will all be there and those facts are dealt with based upon the infallible Word of God, which is the truth. Now, let, let me make it easy for you. You don't need to guess about what's going to happen. There's no wait to see when the jury comes in, whether you're guilty or innocent. You already know the verdict. You read the Bible. It's right there. The criteria for judgment is there, and God's not going to deviate from that. And why should He? It's the truth. And you can't do better than truth. So there's no need for adjustment. There is no truth but God's truth. So you save your breath making any arguments against this. Now, in Exodus 20, the perfect God of truth gave his law, and he said to his people, respond to this truth. And, of course, this law is going to play out for all people of all time. It affects the moral character of every person. But let's consider the immediate context. What does it mean for a nation of people as their constitution of government? What's the public intention? Well, the creator of justice gave it for the courts of justice. This is a law for the courts. And you can see it right in the wording. I've expanded it to include all lying, which the command does, but the immediate context is the court of law. You shall not bear false witness in the court of law. You shall not give a false testimony. That's the first application of this as a law for the nation. Now, all the commandments, of course, are the laws of the land. Each of them carries a, a physical penalty that's imposed by the court. There's also a spiritual penalty that is imposed by God. There's a temporal one and a spiritual one. But the temporal one is the one that we use for the good of society. You see, it's hard to stop crime. If you see a person committing a crime and you go up to him and you say, God's going to judge you for that, and God's going to send you to hell, and you just leave it at that. Well, nobody ever stops crime because you told them God's going to send them to hell. Many people don't believe in hell. Many people don't believe God, so they're not going to stop. We can't keep society straight by just saying, God will judge you and send you to hell. I tried that with my kids. I mean, uh, they steal cookies from the cookie jar, and I said, God's going to judge you and send you to hell for that. And they steal cookies anyway. And they just keep on stealing cookies until I enforce a penalty for it, a physical penalty, right? Well... There's a penalty for breaking God's law. There is a spiritual penalty and there is a physical penalty when that's made the law of the land. Now, we see in the Bible the penalties for some of these laws that are broken are things like, well, death. Commandment 
6, 7, 8, uh, those are, or rather 6 and 7, uh, those, are, those are commandments that are rewarded with death. And, and those above that, 1 through 5, are also rewarded with death. And then we come to the 8th, and there you have a penalty of restitution for that one. And here we are in number 9, and it also carries with it a penalty if you tell a lie in the court. And when laws are broken, someone has to adjudicate the law. And there's a problem when people break the law, and that is nobody turns himself in. Well, we, we, don't, we, we don't self-impose penalties, do we? You, you don't break the law and just go to the police and say, guess what I did, what are you going to do to me? And so he said, take me now and just give me my penalty. Nobody does that. And so usually there's somebody that witnesses a crime. They'll turn you in. I saw this person do that. And so a case is built based upon eyewitness testimony. Now just think about this for a minute. The detection of crime in the time of Moses was much different than it is today. Through DNA evidence, they can convict somebody without a witness. Did you kill this person? No. Well, why is your DNA mixed with his blood? And why did we find your hair on his body? And why did we find a carpet fiber from your trunk on the corpse? And so they, they go and they get the ultraviolet light, they call CSI and they come out and they shine the ultraviolet light in the trunk and there it is, there's the body fluid. You can't get away from that. They know where you walked. They, they know what the stains are on your floors at home. They check the GPS on your phone to see where you've been. They look at the traffic cameras to track you, the satellite images. They got your IP address, and Google is tracking every move that you make. And so the best thing you can do, just sit at home, stay in the closet, never go out, because Big Brother is watching you. And he's got all the information he needs to tell exactly what you did. Moses had none of that. None of that. There's no CSI wilderness. And there's no CSI Canaan as its sequel. So guilt or innocence are almost entirely based upon eyewitness testimony. And so the validity of a verdict depends on the truthfulness of witnesses. Capital cases have to have two witnesses. They must agree on their testimony. Otherwise, you have one man's word against another, and that person might have something against you. He might not like you. He might want to take you down. And so you have to have two witnesses because they are less likely to stick together unless they're telling the truth. Now, a false witness who, who gets on the stand tears down the integrity of the judicial system. A lie turns justice upside down because there is no other way to get at the truth. So you have no CSI, you have no DNA, you have no forensic analysis. The only thing that you have is people that tell the truth. And so... I want you to get that first. How important is truth? Well, there's no justice without it. We can't live together without it. Courts of farce without truth. And so, consequently, there has to be a penalty for not telling the truth on the witness stand. So what's the incentive to tell the truth? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19 where we find it. Deuteronomy chapter 19. And I don't have time to finish the point today. Uh, there's more important information. So let's read this scripture and we'll, we'll save the rest for next week. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse number 16. Two weeks, rather, because next week is uh, Easter service. Deuteronomy 19, verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom that controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges, which shall be in those days. 
and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if a witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. So there's the deterrent for false swearing. You tell a lie on the witness stand, and the penalty for the crime that you swear to shall be yours. And so in a capital case, if it's found out that you said that man murdered somebody and he didn't, then you're the one that will be put to death. And these judges, they were good judges. They were better than Judge Judy. I mean, they, they inquired very closely. They could catch all the body language. They, they knew the eyebrow twitch. And, and they compared that to the facts. And they said, if you, if you said you killed, that man killed another man and he didn't, that's going to be discovered. Now remember this too. When Israel was obedient, they had God's help to discover these things. And you must believe this, that God is able to make a liar reveal himself. He directs our paths, doesn't he? I mean, you go back to Deuteronomy there, we saw God's going to be there too. Now, I I find it hard to believe that God wasn't present in the courtroom when he was needed. Now, let me me just give an example of this. I said said that uh, uh, we were done, but I lied. So we're going to look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 21 for just a minute, all right? 1 Kings chapter 21. And, And there's a story in 1 Kings about Ahab and Jezebel. And King Ahab wanted to expand his, his property by buying a vineyard that was right next to his. And there was a man by the name of Naboth who, who owned this property. But since it was his family's land, and they believed that the land ought to stay within the family, he wouldn't sell it to Ahab. And so Ahab was very upset about that. Jezebel found out, and she found Ahab pouting about it. And so she said, aren't you the king? And, and shouldn't you get what you want? And she said, don't worry about this. I'm going to take care of it for you. Look down at verse number 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, that means wicked men, men that uh, would never tell the truth, just evil men, set them before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carrying him out, carry him out and stone him that he may die. Now, this is Jezebel's scheme. Make a mockery of the court by hiring two satanic witnesses to get on the stand and tell a lie against Naboth. And this is what you say. You say that he blasphemed God and the king. And then you pass sentence according to the law of the land. And what's the sentence? Well, the sentence for blasphemy is death. Verses 12 to 13 say the plan worked. And at the end of verse 13, And they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. So then Jezebel relayed the news to Ahab. Naboth is dead. Go take his vineyard. And he did. And nobody's the wiser. Nobody knew the testimony was false. Court's done. That's the end of the matter. But is it the end? No. There's someone else in the courtroom. God was there. And God's the God of truth. He doesn't want anybody to mock his courtroom. Now notice the lie is that Naboth blasphemed God. Now here's the big, 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 big mistake that Jezebel made. She brought God into it. And it was a lie. And God does not like lies. He wants no part of being in the middle of a lie. And so God then relayed this information to Elijah. And then Elijah confronted Ahab when Ahab went to check out his new digs at his vineyard. And God 
verdict is in verse number 8. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Then he went on to say that he would destroy Ahab's dynasty. Look at verse 23. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. God got his justice. Both those things happened. Ahab died. The dogs came and licked the blood out of his chariot. And then Jezebel was thrown over the city wall. And I can't resist reading the story. Uh, This will just leave a graphic image in your mind today as you leave today about lying. So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 9. And maybe I'm just a bit morbid today, but I don't know how to emphasize this point any better than to show you what happens to a liar. 2 Kings 9 verse 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Hath Zimri peace? He slew his master. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out unto him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Don't now see this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than her skull and her feet in the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. So there you go. You don't want to mess with God's justice. When you tell a lie, you need to remember who's listening. You were made in the image of God. And if you tell a lie, God is there. And you don't want this to happen to you. You don't want them to find you just the skull, the feet, and the palms of your hands. Lying's very serious business. So what's the hope of a liar? Didn't I just say in the beginning of the message, all people are liars? All of us are liars. So what's the hope of a liar? Why is it that we don't receive the judgment of 2 Kings chapter 9? Well, the only way that we can escape it is to go to the one who is full of grace and truth. All people are liars, and so you must go to Jesus, the one who never lies, and ask him for forgiveness. He's the only one that can heal and forgive a liar. All people need to be saved. All people need forgiveness because all of us are liars. The Bible says that. And I encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, trust him because these things are all going to catch up. They will all catch up at the end and God will judge. We need to know Jesus Christ because he took judgment for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we spend together today, looking into your holy word, just getting a start into this commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And most important today, we need to remember that you are the God of truth. You give no passes for telling lies. There are no excuses for us to do it. 
You are the God of truth, and you will judge all liars. Lord, we know that since we are sinful people, we have no hope of escaping your judgment unless we go to Jesus Christ. He died for our sins to pay for these awful things that we have done, breaking every one of these commandments. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus was willing to bear that punishment for us. And we do pray today, Lord, that you would speak to someone's heart and show them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.